With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Illegal Pete's. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, I wish I had more to tell you, to be honest. Um, Nothing happened today. It's about 11.30 Wednesday night. I waited until this late because I thought that there was a decent chance that something was going to happen, that there would be a new head coach that at least we'd know who the offer was out to. I think it was our own Ryan Konigsberg who reported that there is an offer on the table to a coach. Um, I think Vic Lombardi said that the offer is to uh, Air Force head coach Troy Calhoun. I know that there are some rumors going around that the offer is to Steve Sarkeesian. Meanwhile, Brett Bielema has kind of died down, at least uh, in, in our eyes today. The hype around him, the the talk that was building. So who really knows what's going on with Bielema at this point or any of the candidates really? Uh, I thought we'd have at least some clarity. I thought maybe somebody would turn the offer down. um, Somebody would accept the offer and there'd be a coach. Uh, But no, here we are. There's no coach. I uh, had everything all set up. I had just finished like putting things on my new shelf. I was going to do a live Twitter video with the shelf in the background so I could show it off, but I guess that will have to wait until tomorrow. Um, Today for the show, I want to talk about um, Steve Sarkeesian, Troy Calhoun. We haven't really talked about Troy Calhoun at all. Um, He gets a bad rap. That's where I want to start before we actually dig into all this. Um, I get why he wouldn't be exciting. He's kind of a known quantity. Um, Steve Sarkeesian has been seen as an up-and-coming coach and then a tragic a tragic story, and then now he's kind of circled back to this comeback. Uh, we all th- are hoping that that's what happens uh, for him, and a lot of us are hoping that that's what happens for CU, that they bring him on and he has that comeback here. So we're going to kind of dig into those guys more schematically. Um, there's a lot of interesting things to be said about both Calhoun and Sarkeesian. Um, and I'm excited to tell you all of those things. Uh, before I do that, though, I do want to tell you about an incredible deal that you can take advantage of at any Illegal Pete's location. There are six in Denver, two in Boulder. There's one in Fort Collins. Wherever you are, you can get to one. If you are going to an event, whether it's a hockey game or a Buffs basketball game, like the one tomorrow night that hopefully we'll get a chance to talk at least a little bit about later on, um, or a concert or a comedy show or a ballet or any of the other types of dances that you watch. Isn't it weird how ballet is the one it seems like people go to? Like, it's, you, I don't know. You, ne- you never, like, take a date to a tap dance. You take them to a ballet. It's weird that that's the one that took off in that way. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I could definitely be wrong. I don't you take dates to the ballet. I rarely take dates anywhere. You know, I mean, typically I see if they'll go to the zoo just because it's a fun bit if they actually say yes to that. Um, but, uh, yeah. 
Illegal Pete's. Great burritos, great nachos. Uh, if you go to an event, you can bring your ticket to any Illegal Pete's location, and they will give you a free margarita or draft beer uh, with the purchase of an entree. I learned that you have to have an ID as well, which makes sense. I had to run back to my table because I didn't even think of that. I, I forget that I look 16. Um, Illegal Pete's. Take advantage of that deal. There's no reason not to. Okay. Um, let's dig in with Steve Sarkeesian because I have some thoughts about him. Um, I get the hype. Uh, I'm buying into the hype. Uh, you, you look at what he's done in his career and it is really impressive. You know, we've talked about how quickly he moved up the coaching ranks, um, what he's done once he's gotten through those ranks. You know, he becomes the head coach at Washington. I think they were a zero win program when he got there, won five games the first year, built off of that. Um, and then he was the head coach at USC five years later at 39. I think five, I think 39. I think those are the numbers. Um, but we've talked about those stories a little bit. And what I want to talk about is the offense he runs and how that would play out in Boulder. Um, he's a run first guy and he doesn't have the reputation for being a run first guy because he has had some very high powered offenses. He's willing to get away from that a little bit. You know, he was a quarterback. He thinks like a quarterback. A lot of what he does is put a quarterback in good situations. Um, but he is a run first guy. And, and I think that he would tell you the same thing. Um, he was particularly run heavy early in his career. Um, a lot of what he's done has been based on the personnel he's been given. Um, he, he really wanted to dominate the line of scrimmage. And if, if I had to try to sum up his whole offensive philosophy into a sentence or two, I would say that what he wants to do is pass as much as he possibly can while also making sure that he is winning the trenches offensively. You know, so so you're not going to pass so much that it's any question whether you're able to run. And and I think that the reason for that is that uh, it, if there's an offense that's beating you because it's passing the ball so well, what are you going to do to stop it? Well, you're either going to blitz more people or you're going to drop more people in coverage. You have those two options. The offense doesn't really know which one of those you're going to choose. If you're running the ball on your opponent, what's the opponent going to do to stop you? It's going to put more defensive players in the box, more more players closer to the line of scrimmage. And so that's predictable. And I think that he sees that, and that's why he wants to keep this run game dominance uh, throughout everything he does so that he can build off of the predictability of a defense. You know, he knows that if he is able to establish that, then you're going to get passing lanes open. Um, he runs a West Coast offense, um, a bootleg heavy West Coast offense, you know, uh, play action heavy, not as many bootlegs anymore, but still quite a few bootlegs. Those are disappearing throughout football. Um, but what, what he wants to do is... You know, there are so many different West Coast offenses um, that do so many different things and have so many different... I mean, the philosophies are very much the same, but they're tweaked a little bit. You know, Adam Gase, he he runs kind of a numbers-based West Coast offense. So he's going to put one receiver on one side, three receivers on the other side, and if you're playing zone coverage, odds are you only have two defenders um, playing at the sticks on the side where you have three offensive players, and he's going to put you, his three players in a position to spread those guys out, and one of them should be open. You know, it's very much just manipulating those numbers. That's a lot of what Sarkeesian does as well. Uh, he also tries to win matchups, uh, not just one-on-one -on -one matchups within a game, not just wow, KD is so much quicker. He's he's so good, at, such a good route runner that there's no way this cornerback is going to be able to stick with him. Um, it isn't just that. It's it's throughout a team. You know, if, if you can see that their strengths are here, the weakness is here, your overarching game plan is going to change from week to week. Um, and, and so as we've, the same way we've seen Sarkeesian's uh, 
offensive philosophies, the balances between run and pass, whether they're zone runs, power runs, um, those things change throughout the course of his career. It's been equally uh, as turbulent when you look at from one game to the next. Uh, One game, he might be going a lot of four wide receiver sets. uh, and The next, he might throw a couple tight ends out there. Um, And again, it's all matchup based. It's all about showing the other team that you can beat them however you want to beat them. And they have to react to that. And again, when you beat them running the ball, you know how they have to adjust. And that's when you start passing. And if they want to sit back and try to defend the pass, then you run the ball. They they think that they, they can defend your three receiver sets. Well, guess what? You're showing them four receiver sets. Um, you're showing them two receiver sets. They don't know what to game plan for because you do so many different things and do them all well. Um, why don't more teams do this? Well, because it can be pretty complicated. Um, it's a very quarterback-intensive system. That's gone well for Sarkeesian, though. Like I said, he was a quarterback. Uh, he he kind of came up through the coaching ranks as a quarterback's coach. He became an offensive coordinator. You know, it, it, he has worked very closely with quarterbacks, has mentored them, has put them in situations where they can succeed because they have the knowledge. Uh, that's a challenge here at Colorado because, as you guys probably saw, Blake Stenstrom is... Uh, entering the transfer portal. I think he's very likely looking at you know Harvard, Stanford, those types of schools. We'll see how that plays out. But Stenstrom was kind of the uh, the the smart guy in the room, um, the the nerd almost in the in the room. And he's somebody who I think would fit Sarkeesian's scheme very well um, because he is so cerebral and you know, that's one of his strengths and that's one of the strengths you need. Uh, Brendan Lewis, he'd have a lot to learn. Um, again, if, if he did learn it, he would be in great shape. These West Coast offenses, they're all about reads. It's all about seeing where the defense is, figuring out what coverage they're in, and then figuring out how you beat that coverage. And Sarkeesian does a lot of that from the sideline, but he really needs the quarterback to see what he's doing, and he wants the rest of the team to see what he's doing too. How how you manipulate the defense to make it do what you want it to do. You, if you want it to show you cover three, show you cover two, force them to play man, and as long as you're forcing them to do something, then you know what they're doing, and that's what it's all built on. He's, he's playing chess out there. Uh, this isn't... Uh, you know the triple option offense, which there's there's some of that. You see a, you see a problem that you see a mistake the defense is making. You try to take advantage of that, but on a play to play basis, it's mostly in play reads where you see what's happening in real time and then you get the ball out from there. There's a lot of pre snap reads in this offense, um, and it's not just intensive on the re- on the quarterbacks. It's intensive on the receivers as well. He really wants everybody to understand why things are happening the way they're happening. Uh, it's a lot of short passes. It isn't like a high-powered throw-it-downfield. And again, you see a lot of changes. He was he was running a very pro-style offense early on at Washington and then at USC. Uh, with the Falcons, he kind of opened things up, almost got into all, like a full-spread offense with the Falcons, um, and then kind of closed things back down with... Uh, the Alabama and kind of tighten things up. Um, and then throughout the season kind of slowly opened them back up again, started running more of a spread offense. Um, and I think that a lot of the reason for that was that early on, he wanted to put on tape that Alabama could run the ball. You know, everybody knows Tua Tagovailoa is the quarterback and he's the favorite to win the Heisman and all of these different things. Uh, Teams know that they have to worry about the passing game, so he wants to make them worry about the running game. Um, that's that's how things work. Uh, you, you see a lot of RPO. You see a lot of shotgun. Um, it's very up-tempo offenses. Um, you know, when he went to the Falcons, things did drop off. Um, you look at the scoring numbers, I think they fell something like... 33 points a game to 24 points per game, something like that in his first year. Uh, he, he came in when Kyle Shanahan left to go to the 49ers. And, um, 
you know, he Kyle Shanahan also comes from the West Coast offense, the son of Mike Shanahan, of course, one of the great West Coast coaches. Um, and so things were very similar in a lot of ways. Uh, but one way that they were different is that the Falcons were running a lot of power under Shanahan. Um, it, it was all, you know, power running. You tell the offensive line to open up one of the holes. Um, you know, b- between the left guard and left tackle, that's where the play is going. Everybody open up that hole. Running back, that's the hole you hit. And there are a bunch of reasons they did that. The biggest being the personnel that the Falcons had. Um, you know, Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman were the running backs at that point. Those are both downhill runners. They're fast, but they want to put their head down and go straight ahead. They aren't going to bounce around and get cute and try to find an open hole. Their strengths are just running downhill. Um, Sark, up to that point, was mostly uh, a, a zone running. Uh, he ran mostly a zone running scheme. Uh, he uh, he changed it a little bit. He did do a lot more um, power running there, but that's one of those things where it's just a tweak. And just because his tweak didn't work um, doesn't mean that the offense is bad or that you should expect for it to not work at Colorado uh, because the personnel, like I said, were just more equipped to do what they'd been doing before. And the Falcons ran more power running plays than just about any other team in the league while Sark coming into this ran more zone than just about anybody else. And so you saw them kind of meet in the middle and things dropped off a little bit. Um, Kyle Shanahan, he wants to go downfield just a little bit more as well um, than Sark does. Sark is trying to get the ball in his playmaker's hands and let him make plays. It's all high percentage passes. Um, just just dish it off, let somebody else make a play, get the ball upfield um, just quickly, on pace. Um, just keep moving, moving, moving. Uh, I really like it. Sarkeesian is a bright guy. Um, he, he knows how to generate the looks that he wants out of a defense and how to take advantage of them. Um, he is, it's, it's just so incredible to watch him call a game. It, it was actually a lot of fun today, um, because no news broke and I was kind of just waiting for it. And I was like on the phone and working on a couple other projects too, but I got to spend a lot of time watching his offenses. It's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's really fun. Um, and I'd be really excited to see him here. You know, he, he had a stretch where he had a thousand yard rusher every time he was an offensive coordinator. It lasted a long time. He wants to work the play action off of it. Uh, he ran, I mean, when he was at Washington, he may have ran the most play action in all of college football. And that's, that's what he wanted to do was get the defense moving one way, get the quarterback rolling out the other way, have a bunch of space, make things easy get the ball to the guy who needs to get the ball. Um, beat them up with the run, make them overcommit to the run, then take advantage when you have numbers on the other side when you can roll back. Um, I really like it. He Players like him, you know, I haven't talked about his problems with alcoholism. Uh, so far, uh, since he was fired from USC because of his alcoholism, uh, there, there haven't been any incidents, and it's been a little over four years, I believe, or at least no reported incidents, and there is a big difference there. Um, you know, it's it's still a risk, and it's tough to think about what that means for a coach, um, and there are obviously some, some things that would scare you, but he he has a great reputation with players. Uh, they all see him as a teacher. You you see incredible buy-in wherever he goes. They all want to learn. They're all impressed by what he does. You know, I, I found a story when I was reading about him. Uh, he the first game at Alabama, there were a few players who were suspended um, for like the first half of the game or something like that because of or maybe it was the full game because of something they did in the offseason and Devonte Smith was one of them the receiver who probably would have been a first round draft pick had he declared this year and instead is going back to Alabama uh, and and he said that just sitting up there watching how Sarkeesian thinks 
watching how he tries to work the defense, what he's trying to do, um, piece things together, it, it made him understand what he's supposed to do. And, uh, you know, at the end of the year before he went to the bowl game, Sarkeesian was saying, well, what makes that Alabama group of receivers so special is, well, f- first of all, they're talented, but more than that is that they're just so smart and so interested in learning what they're supposed to do and how everything works. And, and that's why everything clicks so well in his offenses because he wants to teach them those things. Um, because, you know, it's, it's tough to forget what you're supposed to do um, when you actually understand why you're doing it. When you go into a play and think, oh, yeah, so we're trying to try, try to play with these gaps between the slot cornerback um, outside of him on either side, make him commit to one of us, then, then it makes it easier to understand what your role is because it all just makes sense. You aren't hearing the play and trying to memorize your job in it. You're understanding how all these pieces work together, how the pattern works, and what it's pulling on, and what the quarterback's trying to see so that you can try to see the same thing and take advantage of it. Um Again, it takes smart receivers, it takes a smart quarterback, but when it works, the West Coast offense is just unstoppable. That's why it's stuck around so long. You know, all these different offenses, um, a lot of them are fads, um, and not fads, but but they just keep twisting and twisting and changing, and they all kind of morph together in a lot of ways. Um Air Coriel, all this kind of stuff that you don't even really hear that much about anymore because it's just shifted away. Um, the West Coast just works. And these core philosophies, playing the numbers games, that kind of stuff, it just works. It takes smart people, but it works. Um, and, and there are a bunch of tweaks, and we're going to get into some of those tweaks later on when we talk about Troy Calhoun because Troy Calhoun um, is also a West Coast offensive coach. Um, and we'll dig more into that because I think that he could get really creative. Um, we'll save that for later though. But yeah, with, with this offense that you see from Sarkeesian, I mean, it's, it's like watching a boxer, you know, it's punch, counter punch, making a miss, all these different things and just playing with their heads when it's at the best. Um, you know, like I said, Devonte Smith's going back to school. Najee Harris is going back to school, the running back, who would have been one of the first five running backs taken, likely. Um, Tua Tagovailoa, a top-five pick, strongly considered going back to school for his final season. Um, that all speaks speaks volumes about Sarkeesian, um, as well as the rest of the coaching staff. But I love it. I, I love so much about Sarkeesian. Um I'd have a lot of fun covering him, getting to spend more time on this tape. Uh, You know, he kind of got away from what he had typically done last year. He opened things up a lot. Uh, He spread things out. It it was almost a spread offense, like I said earlier, by the end of the year. Um, And that's because that's the personnel he had. You have Tua Tagovailoa. He he knows he has Tua Tagovailoa. He he knows he has potentially the best receiving core in college football history. But he still went out there week one and week two and week three and tried to pound the ball as much as he could with Najee Harris just because everybody was waiting for him to throw the ball and also because he wanted everybody to know, hey, we can run on you too. And then the rest of the season, teams are playing honest because they're scared of Najee Harris the same way they're scared of everybody else. Um, and that's that's just the stuff that I understand about what Sarkeesian does. Uh, character concerns? I, I don't know if I call them that. Um, it's, it's weird talking about alcoholism, um, the words we use, all of that kind of stuff. I don't really call it character, um, but, you know... It's it it is a concern for sure. Uh, if if he were to relapse, and you know that relapse could happen at any point, you know if 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 Rick George realizes that he isn't fit to lead the program in July, then you're in a tough spot, and that's totally on the table, and that's a fair reason to be concerned and to try to avoid him. Um, 
but there is so much that I love about Sarkeesian. He's very obviously one of the best offensive minds. He's still young. Um, I think that he has the potential to be something special. I think he was on the path to being something special before alcoholism derailed all of that. Um, I'd be excited to see what he could do. Um, I'd be excited to see what he'd want to do with this team. Um, also, obviously, he's coached at USC, he's coached at Washington, he's coached in the NFL, he's coached at Bama. He has connections. That coaching staff he'd put together, I don't want to name names, but my goodness, could it be something special. Um, you know what else is special? Breckenridge Brewery. Tonight, I went to uh, Blake Street Tavern to take a little break from all of this football craziness, and I... Uh, just knew that something bad was going to happen or the coach was going to get hired or report was going to come out. Um, as soon as I got there and I was almost as paranoid about that as I was about just like sitting here. Um, also I'm getting my hair cut at 10 AM tomorrow and I'm really hoping I don't have to bail because Sarkeesian gets hired or Troy Calhoun gets hired and I have things to do. And then I'm basically sitting in the office until two 30 or three um, when it's time to record the draft pod with Andre Simone and Andrew Mason, again, depending on what the buffs are up to at that point. Uh, and then buffs basketball against USC crazy stuff. But, uh, the strawberry sky at Blake street tavern really did make me feel better. It was a nice little break from all of this. Um, it was definitely a strawberry sky mood, such a good beer. And if you want to try it, you can use the beer locator, on uh, the Breckenridge Brewery website. And if you do that, it will tell you all the different places you can try whatever beer it is that you want to try. I recommend the Strawberry Sky, but it's up to you to pick whatever you want to pick. Also, uh, I want to tell you about the Colorado Raptors and our Colorado Raptors coverage, which is even more exciting. Um, The Colorado Raptors are... Uh, a rugby team, a professional rugby team at the highest level of North American rugby uh, here in Colorado at Glendale, right next to Cherry Creek. Um, tickets are only $5 for kids. Um, it's it's a great deal. It's a lot of fun. I know that there there's like a squad of DNVR people going to the game on Saturday. Uh, I, I looked at the times and thought that I probably couldn't go because of the Buffs game in the afternoon, but... Um, if you guys can make it work, then you guys should definitely make it work. And you should be checking out our coverage at DNVR Raptors. Colton Strickler is taking you inside the locker room. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's early in the season. I think this is week three that we're heading into. And the Raptors have a chance to put together a pretty special run. And I'm hoping that you guys will all join us for it. Uh, Troy Calhoun. <sighs> Let's just start here. I'm uh, I'm Team Sark. I, I, I would rather see uh, Starkeesian take the job. I think that's easy to get excited about him. And I think that that's a very important part of this whole puzzle. Um, and also, I think he's a really good football coach. There are concerns, and it's definitely a little bit riskier higher. Um, you could see how he could lead this team. I mean, if, if, if he were to stay clean, you'd expect him to lead this team to uh, probably the best four or five years stretch if that's how long um he was around or who knows this could be a a place where he wants to stick uh but yeah in quite a while in a couple decades at least it'd be fun troy calhoun i think is getting a bad rap because he, he he isn't quite that flashy you know he isn't somebody who's well known nationally he isn't, you know, somebody who there's been a bunch of storylines about. He hasn't been involved in Alabama football. Um, but I think that because he is seen as maybe the safer option, um, maybe the less flashy option, you f- it's easy to forget how creative he is and, and could be. Um, if he's given this position. Um, and let me tell you why. So, uh, he's 53. He, uh, was a quarterback at air force. He's a grad assistant at air force. Um, 
was offensive coordinator at Air Force, and then went to Ohio, was eventually offensive coordinator at Ohio, offensive coordinator at Wake Forest, and then he was an assistant with the Broncos from 2003 to 2005, and he was the offensive coordinator of the Texans in 2006 before getting the Air Force job in 2007, and that's where he's been the head coach ever since 2007. Uh, so there's the timeline. Uh, here's where things get interesting. So Air Force runs the triple option. Um, and if you guys want more details about the triple option, you can run back to uh, Air Force week at DNVR and look at my breakdown of how it all works. But essentially, it's pretty much the same play over and over. You tweak it a little bit based on what the defense is doing. Um, you throw the ball only when you see on tape that there is something to take advantage of. You know, they're, the cornerbacks are jumping up too quickly, uh, trying to make a play in the backfield. Do you think you can catch him on that? That's when you throw the ball. Um, otherwise, quarterback's under center. you got receiver split wide right, wide left. You've got two slot backs. They're each uh, right off the hip of the left and right tackle and two steps behind the line of scrimmage. And then you have a running back straight behind the quarterback, uh, almost in like an I formation. Not would be I, but, uh, but yeah. So that's the formation almost always. They'll tweak sometimes. And then on every play, essentially the fullback, which is what they call the guy behind the quarterback, he runs at one of the A gaps uh, to the left or right of the center. Um, the quarterback makes a read, either hands it off. Typically that's a pre-snap read. Um, also there's somebody going in motion. They run like the option, the traditional like pitch option. You know, you guys have all seen it. That's the triple option. Um, that's a very niche offense. It's something you run at the academy schools because it is so hard to recruit. And, uh, you know, when you're recruiting, let's say a receiver for Colorado, what do you want him to be? You want him to be big. You want him to be fast. You want him to have uh, good hands. You want him to be probably pretty smart. You also want him to be quick. He needs to get in and out of cuts. He needs to be able to jump up and high point balls. Uh, he needs to be able to feel the gaps in his own defense. Um, you want him to be able to sit down in those spots and wait for the quarterback to find him. Uh, and you could kind of keep going. There are probably three, four, five more things that you're looking for in a wide receiver. And not every receiver is going to have all those things. But the more of those things you have, the more you are wanted by a school like Colorado or any other Power 5 school. Um, Air Force and other academy schools and schools like uh, Georgia Tech, you know, tough to get into. Um, it, they have to cut down on some of the things they can ask for because they're not going to find a receiver that's that well-rounded. And so what do they need? If they're running the ball outside so much, you want a receiver who can block and you want a receiver who uh, can run simple routes. And blocking is the more important of those two things. Uh, and so that's what they look for when they're recruiting receivers. They say, okay, we don't need you to be elite in all these things. We don't need you to be good in all these things. But we do need you to be an elite blocker. And then you look at the offensive line. And you look at, you know, Colorado's looking for guys who can... Uh, you want to be able to pull. You want your guards to be able to pull and help lead block on the other side. Um, you want them to be able to pass block and drop back um, and stay in a good stance, stay low. Uh, you want them to have good punch when they're able to um, drop back so that they can knock the other guy back, lose his momentum a little bit. Uh, you want them to cut block because that's something you have to do. You want them to be able to uh, power block, just put their heads down and maul. Um that's a lot to ask for, and you could probably keep going. But if you're Air Force, you have to pick something, and they pick cut blocking because that just takes somebody out of the play. You don't even be able to do much in pass protection because you're only going to throw the ball 10 times a game. And, and so that's the way it all works, though, is that you just have very specific roles for people so that you aren't competing with Alabama and Clemson for the guys you want. You're able to say, hey, these players who probably don't have a, a, a lot of stars on uh, 247 or Rivals or ESPN or wherever you look, these are guys who will fit our scheme perfectly, and that's what matters. Um, and they're interested in being in the Air Force, so they can come here. Uh, and that's how that works. And so that's why you see schools like Air Force run the triple option, um, because you need one specific thing, and if you want a specific thing to do, that's a pretty good one to pick. Running 
an inside zone over and over and over and over again, it's pretty easy to stop if you know it's coming. Uh, running that triple option is still tough to stop because you need to play it perfectly every time. So that's the theory. That's where he's been. Um, but he also uh, has experience with the Broncos and with the Houston Texans under Gary Kubiak, where he worked in a West Coast offense, ran a West Coast offense. That's what he would do in Boulder. It would be a West Coast offense. A lot of the things I said about Sark would apply to Calhoun. It's tougher to say what exactly he's trying to do, um, what would be different than Sark, just because it has been 14 years since he was he was last running an offense other than the triple option. Um, but here's the upside, and here's where you could see this offense actually having... It's, it's tough to say more upside under Calhoun than with Sarkeesian, but when you look at the innovations we've seen in football recently, whether it's the jet sweep, the, the receiver coming in motion, um, throwing the ball forward to a lame go, that is very much a, a triple option concept that somebody pulled and put into uh, more standard offense, more, more stro- pro-style offense, maybe still a spread, but that's even closer to pro-style than triple option. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, so you see that. You see the RPOs which, again, is very much a triple option product. It's Somebody saw what the option was doing and said, huh, I wonder if we can incorporate something like that. And it has taken off over the last five years, and uh, now it's a staple. It's something that Sarkeesian uses constantly. Um, whether it's pre-snap read, post-snap read, it's it's the first decision that the quarterback has to make in, on a lot of plays. It's, it's a transition not just to put the triple option and option play um, on the field um, in a standard offense, but also it gives you a play-action look if the quarterback keeps the ball, um, which, again, is something that Sarkeesian loves to do, run that play-action. There's a yawn. It's getting pretty late. Um, so, yeah, so it works for a couple reasons. But, again, that's mixing option concepts into a normal offense. You look at pretty much everything the Chiefs do, um, especially with Travis Kelsey, you know, they'll line him up at tight end. They'll have him run behind the line of scrimmage um, and catch a screen pass over there. Or, or Mahomes will have a chance to, like, flip him the ball, or he can flip the ball out to the running back who's running out to the flat, or he can throw the ball downfield. You know, that's kind of a, a very, very modern only in the last couple of years have we seen that sort of innovation. We've seen it from Kyle Shanahan as well. Um, but again, that's really pulling from these option concepts. Um, and and you see that being woven into these West Coast offenses. Troy Calhoun has spent a lot of time with the option. The way that he could intertwine the option into a West Coast offense, it, I mean... It could be the next innovation in football. And I really don't think that's a stretch to say at all. When, when you look at the combination of things that he's been studying over the last, whatever, 30 years, it would lead you to believe that there's some creativity that he could bring to that offense, that West Coast offense. And, and it could be even more creative than what uh, Sarkeesian does. And it could be the type of stuff that, you know, 10 years from now, we all say, wow. Isn't it crazy he came up with that? The same way we say Bob Stick coming up with the jet sweep um, out at the School of Mines uh, t- 10 years ago now, 11, 12, something like that. But but again, I think that Troy Calhoun could have that sort of um, that sort of moment. He, he could really transform things. And I wish I could give you an example, but I don't know what that example would even be because, I mean, if, if I had it then all of a sudden I'm I'd be selling it to a football coach or I'd be coaching football or something like that um Troy Calhoun the way his brain has been groomed to look at the option to look at the ways to manipulate a defense to see what mistakes a defense is making and game plan to take it I mean the the triple option it is very much a militaristic approach you know we talk about being kind of a chess match for a guy like Sarkeesian and he wants 
that to be how it all plays out. He's he's a boxer. He's he's trying to keep the other guy on his heels. Um, he's trying to stay a step ahead, knowing what's coming, so that he can beat it every single time. You know, Troy Calhoun, uh, this this Air Force team. You know, they have guys up in the booth just looking for a, a player on the defense that isn't doing his job perfectly. Somebody who's overcommitting by a half step one way or the other, and then they're circling it and they're taking advantage of it on the next snap. Having a coach who thinks like that, I mean, it's it's pretty great. Uh, and and having the creativity, hopefully, and again, there's a chance that he, he doesn't go that route. That, that this isn't a new, you know, like a Kansas City Chiefs. And probably, I mean, I think it'd probably bear more resemblance to what the 49ers do. Um, very run heavy, um, very run heavy for sure, power football but then still have that misdirection, still have a fullback sneaking out on the backside, catching a screen pass and running up the field. Um, I think that all of that is within the realm of possibility with uh, somebody like Troy Calhoun. Like I said, I'm a, I'm Team Sarkeesian, but a lot of the reason I'm Team Sarkeesian right now is that um, he, he just comes with the hype. And whether that's right or wrong... Um, it seems like Buffs fans are kind of out on Calhoun and kind of in and on Sarkeesian. And I don't know that that's totally right. I mean, I can say that Calhoun has a reputation among media members I've talked to as not being all that open. He isn't like Mel. You know, Mel told me uh, uh, there are four, four phases in football, offense, defense, special teams, and media. Troy Calhoun doesn't think like that. He wants to talk to me as little as possible, and that does not sound like fun for me. Um, Mel was a lot of fun. I think Sark would be a lot of fun, um, and I think that that might skew it too, but that's just Calhoun's approach. Um, that's why he fits in so well at a military university. He, he isn't somebody who you expect to be going on all these radio tours. Um, Sark is a guy who you expect to be going on a lot of radio tours. And, you know, uh, talking about it with people last night, it, it almost feels like like Colorado almost put the Mel situation on themselves. You know, it, it took a lot of things to break the wrong way. And then after all of that, Mel had to decide to actually leave when there's a lot of people relying on him not to leave. But you you look at what was happening with Colorado really building everything around Mel, changing everything so that it fit Mel perfectly, putting Mel's face on the poster, putting Mel on the tickets, putting Mel in the middle of every marketing campaign, all of this kind of stuff. Everything was just built around Mel, and everybody wanted that hype. And we all said, wow, you know, Mel should get some national recognition. And he did. He was constantly on national radio shows and he was on Pac-12 Network and he was talking on wherever you were looking. He, he became a big name in the coaching world, just like we wanted to have a big name in Boulder. Um, and because he was such a big name, somebody wanted him and they wanted to overpay him. And they might, they might not think they're overpaying him because he got so much hype and we wanted him to get that hype. But because he got the hype from the national media that we all wanted to see him get... It raised his market past where it should have been. Um, there's a take for you. But but Calhoun is not somebody who's going to do that. And Sarkeesian could be. Um, I, I mean, I think he would be. I think that there would be a lot of national interest in him. Um, and if things go well, he could be somebody who gets a new job in a year or two. And it's been almost 50-50 um, whether that matters for coaching candidates that, that we've talked about because um, there are some guys like Sarkeesian and like I said I'm bought in on Sarkeesian and I think it's worth that risk um, because you know what if Colorado has another coach who leaves after one year they're going to be in an even better place than they were this year and they're going to get an even better coach and that coach probably isn't going to leave um, in February again so you're going to have a wider pool to pick from Uh those are some thoughts. I really do like what Troy Calhoun could do. I, I'm in love with what Sarkeesian could do. But Calhoun, you know, he wants to run that power football. Both those guys build off of power football just in different ways. I think that there could be some really cool tweaks and quirks in that offense. Um, especially, I mean, a guy like Brady Russell in Troy Calhoun's offense, 
I mean, think of the way he'd use him. I mean, that's that's your Kyle Juszczyk if we're calling this the 49ers offense. You know, you're going to see him lined up all over the place. You're going to see him primarily work as a blocker. And because he works as a blocker so much, you're, you're going to be able to get him the ball in space because players are going to be dodging him because he's been hitting them so many times over and over and over and over. Um, and then you're going to be able to run those little misdirections, get him the ball in space and let him run for 30, 40 yards. Brady Russell fits perfectly. You know, uh, Ashad Clayton, you want him running downhill. Do we really want Sark's zone scheme with a guy like Ashad? You know, not to knock his vision, but he's at his best when he puts his foot in the ground and goes. Same with Jaron Mangum. Fontenot, the lead back right now, is more of a dancer, more of a vision guy. Um, you know, I think that we'll we'll see eventually what one of these guys will do whether sark would just say you know what this is a power team we're gonna go power we're gonna go heavy sets we're gonna throw in a game where we throw four receivers on the field just so we can throw teams off show that we're diverse we know there's no way teams are game planning for that and so we're gonna go four receiver sets 80 percent of the time in that game and and then the next week we might go three tight ends and that kind of stuff i just love keeping a defense on the heels, giving you advantage early in the games, and then making them adjust throughout the games once you already have an advantage, and then you're just pounding the ball over and over and over on them because you have them on their heels, and then you're still taking advantage of those deep shots afterward because they're all sucked up to the line of scrimmage. Like, that is what football is supposed to be in my mind. Like, that's what you're trying to do. It just feels like classic football to me. And maybe that's the era I grew up in that, like, 2000s when uh you know the west coast offense had really spread everywhere um but but i love that and i love that sark would do that and i think calhoun you know i was able to explain all the different things sarkeesian has done and what we'd expect from him with calhoun we really don't know we haven't seen him run anything but a triple option offense in so long that upside is there though the, the fact that he comes from that, that he's been thinking in those ways, his brain is trained to think about misdirection, it's trained to think about taking advantage of these little weaknesses, um, that that puts you in a good spot as a coach. Um, and, and I think he could run some pretty creative stuff and, and make it replicable. You know, you know, early in that season when Chev was the offensive coordinator, uh, when they're throwing those bubble screens for Visca, when they're doing whatever to get Visca the ball, all of that stuff was like, oh, wow, uh, this looks incredible. Look at this offense. It's clicking. Look at the creativity. Look at what they're doing. And, you know, the, the competition got stiffer throughout the season, and I think that made things tough for the for this offense but more than that i think that there just wasn't enough depth to it um with sarkeesian you know you have depth you know that he'll keep coming up with ideas and that things will keep changing and that there are so many different things he can do over the course of a 12 game season maybe 13 game season and troy calhoun one of those questions is you know i know that he can throw some fun little plays together the trick plays not even trick plays because they use them so well. You know, you look at what Lincoln Riley does. Maybe that's a better example because it's college football. But again, it's all that misdirection. Defenses never know what to expect. They're so hesitant to run downhill because they're thinking they're going to just all of a sudden the ball's going to magically appear in some 12th player's arms on the sideline at the line of scrimmage with clear grass in front of him for 40 yards to the end zone. And, and they play hesitant because of that. I think Sark has some of that in him. I think Sark has enough of that in him that he can be successful for an entire season. Um, Troy Calhoun, um, I think that he does have that in, in him. And I think the creativity you see from him might be even more than the creativity you see from Sark. But is there enough of it? Is, is, is it more power football? Are we doing that 90% of the time and you're not seeing quite the depth in that creativity, which I think is possible um, for sure. But if Calhoun really does blend those offenses together, sheesh, I mean, <laughs> it could be special. It could be really special. Um, you guys know what else is special? Because I'll tell you, uh, Strava Craft Coffee is incredible coffee. It's game-changing coffee, and that's probably what I should have said instead of special. Um, if you haven't tried it, you have to. It fixes so many of the different things that could 
cause you problems, back pain, migraines, whatever. CBD, it, it's CBD-infused coffee, first of all. Um, CBD is not psychoactive. That's THC that is psychoactive. I, I don't, psychoactive is such a weird word still. I don't, I'm out on it. Um, it Again, helps migraines, helps anxiety, helps arthritis, helps IBS. And if you purchase online, you can get 20% off using the code DNVR20. You got to do it. It ships fast. It goes right to your door. Um, With 20% off, you might as well be drinking it instead of your regular coffee just to see what happens. Okay. Um, Those are some thoughts. I'm excited to see who ends up getting some this job. Um, Either Calhoun or Sark, I I think could do a great job. I think, I lean Sark, I think, football-wise. Um, yeah, I, I take Sark football-wise. And then off-the-field stuff, again, that's a big category when you factor in, you know, Sarkeesian had the alcohol problems. Um, but who connects with donors? Who connects with recruits? Um, who who excites the fan base enough that you're packing that stadium? Um, and, and bringing in money to spend and to keep investing and then reinvesting the returns on those investments and building and building and building because that that's how you get the money to be a national contender and you do need money typically to be a national contender and i think sark does a lot for me there too but then you remember the massive bus potential um there is flame out potential right there um with troy calhoun there isn't and is there a limited upside eh I don't think it's a limited upside. I don't think it's as high as Sark's upside, but uh, it is safer for sure. And safe doesn't necessarily mean that it's a scared move from Rick George. Um, If it's either of those guys, I'll feel pretty good. I'll feel pretty good going forward. Um, Maybe, maybe a tad nervous about both because you just have to see what happens. Um, I've, I've never covered a coaching change. I've come in and covered first-year coaches in both of the years that I've covered football, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's weird seeing a team change directions, and uh, I, I have faith that Rick George and Lance Carl are going to get the right guy for the job. They've, they've done that consistently in the past, <sighs> but it's going to be weird. It's going to be really weird to see somebody else in charge. Um, I feel good. I feel good. Wow, six comments. Oh, we're going to be up late tonight. Um, First, Silver Buff. I don't know where this belief that the Utah game is an easy win started, but I need to put an end to this narrative. Colorado's only conference win in Salt Lake was back in 2012. That's a 1-8 record. Yes, the Buffs will be favored, but college basketball is weird, especially on the road. Yep. I mean... Exactly. Road games are really tough. Did I say there was going to be an easy win? I'm. That seems like the kind of thing I would say, and then now looking back, be like, huh? What was I thinking? But yeah, but yeah, I'm sure I said something dumb today too. Um, but yeah, uh, Utah. They've beaten some good teams this year, and they've primarily beaten those teams when it's been in Utah. Um, we'll get to that eventually, though. Uh, Sunny Rain, interesting observation. Mel Tucker's agent didn't allow CU to counter the MSU offer. Yeah. Uh, Brett Bielema and Mel Tucker have the same agent. We're likely going to hire Bielema because what better choice do we have, really? This junk is shady. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's been a weird thing that I don't think we've talked about much on here. But uh, yeah, Bielema and Mel Tucker have the same agent. So the same guy who told... Rick George that Mel was leaving is the guy that's been Rick's contact figuring out whether Bielema is going to work out. Um, definitely, definitely worth saying that here. And that could play a factor in things. Weird. Um, also, Sunny Rain, I just saw a report that had Brett Bielema and Troy Calhoun as finalists for the head coach job. Troy Calhoun? I know he was on an initial list of possible candidates, but there's no way he'd actually land the job, right? We're not running a triple option Air Force style. What an odd choice that would be if it were to happen. Nah, I'm not going to worry. If it's going to be Bielema, I'm actually fine with that, considering the position CU has been put in could be way worse. At least newly signed recruits 
won't hit the portal as soon as the news broke. Yeah. Um, luckily, I told you all about my thoughts on Troy Calhoun. I hope I talked you off the ledge a little bit there and maybe even got you a little bit excited. You know, he won't be running the triple option, but he will be running a West Coast option or West Coast offense. And we've seen the creativity again. The, the Chiefs and the 49ers being the prime examples, and even the Falcons, but that's also Kyle Shanahan back when that was happening. We've seen that that's kind of been the forefront of innovation in these West Coast offenses, and having a guy with that much experience running the triple option in that West Coast offense, like, there's potential for something special. Or he could be, you know, kind of conservative, and we'll see how it goes. Um... Michael Harrison, Hammer and Hank, long time no comment. Hope life has been treating you well. Yep, I bought a new shelf. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, I'm very proud that you assembled your own IKEA shelf. I hope it is a stepping stone on your way to a bed frame. I'm hoping that it is. Uh, I've been writing with, oh, I've been wrestling with this Mel Tucker nonsense and have made my peace with it. Though it was handled poorly from a media perspective, I understand why he left for the money, doing right by his family, yada, yada, yada. The bigger issue is that Pac-12 money is essentially a kiddie pool compared to the ocean of dollars that are dollar bills that is in the SEC, Big Ten, and Clemson. I love that. It's not even the ACC. It isn't. It's just Clemson. This will not be the last time we see a situation like this. Um, but on to the next one. The more I sit here and think who should be the new head coach, the more I keep coming back to the same guy, Coach Chev. The Buffs are looking for the football version of Tad Boyle, and I don't think they need to look much further than who's already in-house. Shovel have growing pains, and that is something that we will need to be patient with. Whatever money you don't spend on his contract will be dedicated to surrounding him with good assistants that have been there before. Do not repeat the disaster that was 2011 and 2012. Here's my thing about Chev. He loves the Buffs. The players love him. The university loves him. And I think the donors will love him. Don't let this guy go without seeing if he could be the next Tad Boyle for Colorado Buffalo's football. It's time to give him the keys to the Subaru and let him drive this thing. Sco Buffs. Um, yeah, I mean, some good points for sure. Um, in terms of spending money on assistant coaches, Chev, Chev may not have a lot of options. You know, he he hasn't networked. You know, talking about Sarkeesian, thinking about all the places he's been. He was head coach of Washington, head coach at uh, USC. He's been to the NFL. Um, he's worked at Bama. All those different places, he meets people. And he knows who he likes to work with. He knows who he doesn't. I mean, for Chev right now, he doesn't have a lot of stops on his resume. And I don't know that he has the contact list to fill out um, a, a coaching staff with the people who you could spend that money on. In theory, it makes a lot of sense. The problem is, practically, I don't know who those guys would be, who Chev could go to and say, hey, I know you're already signed on for something, but at least hear me out. And those people say, yeah, Chev, you know what? We go back, let's at least talk and see if we can do something. In, in reality, it's probably Rick George who has to be very involved making all those co calls, which isn't how this typically works. Typically, it's the coach who fills out his own staff. Chev, like I'm saying, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, based on the stops he's had and him being a young coach, it doesn't seem like he would have a lot to fall back on in terms of coaches. Um, we'd see, we'd see for sure. Um, yeah, um, I think that's the biggest point there. Um, and again, that's just something that comes with experience and that's what it keeps coming back to is how long have you been around? What have you seen? What have you learned? You know, you ask Chev, how, how would you run this offense? Um, who would run this offense? You know, because would it be you? Would it be that? I don't know. I, I think that there are a lot of questions with Chev, um, growing pains. There'd definitely be some growing pains, um, yeah, you just look at these other guys and, you know, Sarkeesian with his resume, even Troy Calhoun with his resume compared to Chev's resume, like Chev just isn't there yet, which is reasonable because he's still a young coach. He spent time in the NFL and in the CFL. And those are all years that are taken, taking away from your time coaching. Chev is really good at what he does. He's a very good recruiter. 
Um, he could be a good head coach. Likely it would take a couple more years. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think there are better options. Hammerin' Hank, how goes the Tinder bio? Oh, oh, Hammerin' Hank now goes in the Tinder bio. <laughs> uh, yep, sure, if you guys want it, it's there. I should just let you guys, maybe in the off season we'll have like a, we can have like a some sort of competition. Winner gets to run my Tinder for me. That'd be fun. Take a lot off my plate. I haven't even had time. Like it's been weeks since I've even like swiped or anything. They're probably like girls waiting. Want my attention? Pro- actually, no. Actually, there probably are not. To be frank. Okay, Bobby Lank says Henry would bring in Chev as head coach and partner him with an assistant coach like a Barnett to help him where the inexperience or concerns Chev may have to help him along. Um, or concerns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's very similar. Um, I think I talked about a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, Barnett, he would probably be involved because when you're looking through who are the experienced coaches that Chev has spent time around, Barnett's been in the same building a lot. Um, I think Barnett may have to also reach out to people and say, hey, here we are. Uh, we, we have a bunch of open jobs. I do think that you'd likely retain a bunch of the staff, whichever the staff is willing to work for Chev. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it'd be a process. It'd be a process for sure. And I think that it, it would totally be a different assistant coaching search, I would guess, than you typically see. Um, again, like Mel last year, he knows a bunch of different guys from his time at Bama, from his time at, Georgia from his time at Michigan State the first time uh you know all the way through all the different places through the NFL Jacksonville Cleveland you just meet people they're people you like they're young people you think are smart and will need should have an opportunity and eventually you're the one in the position to give them an opportunity it isn't just I mean Chev, he might have to just cold call people and say hey my name's Darren Cheverini I'm the uh head coach at Colorado I was wondering if you'd be willing to talk because I watched some tape and like what you did. And and that's a tough place to be trying to win coaches, especially this late. Um, again, you'd probably be keeping a lot of the coaching staff intact, um, or at least trying to. Um, that should probably do it for today. We uh, have a full hour, which we love. Um, also, it's 1230. That means I have a haircut in... Nine and a half hours, and it's a half hour away, so I get nine hours of sleep unless I want to uh, wash my hair before this poor man has to touch it. Louie is incredible, by the way. I should be giving him more shout-outs. Louie at Fade in Centennial. Uh, he owns the place. He owns a bunch of others. He actually cuts a bunch of the Broncos' hair. Um, he uh, like goes in there. He's, he's great. He is so good. And if you guys need somewhere to go, Louie at Fade. That's the spot. Um, also... I'll be there at 10 a.m. tomorrow, so maybe I'll see some of you around. Doubt it, though. Has never happened before there. Okay, um, that'll do it for today. Um, again, if you guys like this show, please give it good reviews. Um, we appreciate those. It means that it pops up earlier in people's feeds and they're looking for Buffs content. Um, it means that they're more likely to listen. It means that they trust that it's worth listening to. So if you haven't had a chance to re- give us a review yet, would really appreciate if you did that. Um, also, if you guys have any questions, comments, any of that, I'll be back here tomorrow. It's going to be a long day. I think tomorrow's the day we're going to hear something. Not because I have a source on that one, um, but because it's got to happen, right? <laughs> tomorrow has to be the day. Um, so, yeah, when that happens, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm probably going to be in the office all day. Maybe I'll try to do like a live thing. There will definitely be a podcast. There will be a bunch of stories. Um, but yeah, hope you guys aren't too stressed out about all this. I know I am. Um, I know a lot of other people are too. Um, it'll be nice when this is all behind us, although it is kind of fun. Um, I, l- I like Calhoun. I like Sarkeesian. Um, I, th- I think either of those guys, I really do um, would be, would be a good choice, um, for different reasons, for very different reasons. Okay. Um, that's probably gonna do it though. So I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye.
think they like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in it, play. I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it, go. You know I'm acting bad. Holland get a bus with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. Might not swear, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag.